fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Thank you, Paul, for the music this morning. I, I love that last hymn, what he says we will do, and where he sends we will go. We just got to trust and obey, for there's no other way. So I want to begin with a, a challenge from Joshua chapter 24, because I think it's very pertinent today in our text. It is a very specific call to a specific type of people, that is parents and children, but I want to encourage you this morning that this is for all of us. If you're white-haired and your grandparents, this is a very applicable text because we need to understand the truth of Scripture in order to be able to help our children as they raise their children. And there's way too much compromise. And so what I want to do is I want to start, as Joshua did with the people of Israel long ago, and that is chapter 24. And verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. I want to stop right there for a second. We cannot approach, we cannot approach the scriptures in any other way than with sincerity and with faithfulness. 
Because insincerity and unfaithfulness breeds disobedience through compromise. And we all fall victim too often in our disobedience and frankly we forfeit God's blessing and the impact on our lives and our impact on the world is affected. So the text continues. He says, put away the gods of your fathers and serve beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When we decide to serve the Lord, brothers and sisters, it means that every aspect, it means we obey every aspect of God's word without compromise, doesn't it? We can't choose to obey in partial. Partial obedience cannot be the norm, full submission. So my challenge here is this, because when we decide to serve the Lord, and I know it probably goes without saying, but when I look at a passage that we're going to look at today, And I look at families in our churches. They're broken. They're starving. They're hurting. There's rebellion in their children. Marriages are falling apart. But yet we all claim to serve the same God. And we're sitting in the same pews. And so we have to understand that full submission is non-negotiable, right? God has given us a plan. And what my goal is today is to ask you this question is, parents, children, grandparents, choose this day who you will serve. So let's pray before we dive into our text. Our Father, we thank you for another day. Lord, we come to a text that is easily understood and grossly misapplied. Our text today is, gives us the freedom as parents and as children to live within the design that you have set up, and it all started long ago. And so I pray that this morning these words will be divided rightly, that it will impact our hearts and our minds so that we can better understand who we are as parents as grandparents, as single folks, even as children, and our responsibility before you, Lord Jesus. So give us great insight and wisdom as we look into your word. And we just thank you and give you the glory and the praise. In Christ's name, amen. So back to Ephesians. And so I want to do a real quick recap because Paul begins the text back in Ephesians chapter 3. So flip to Ephesians chapter 3. He says, for this reason, in verse 14, for this reason. Well, what reason? And that starts back in Ephesians chapter 2. And he says, all of the church is being built upon the apostles and the prophets, right? And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And we are a spiritual house being built. So Paul then in chapter 3 says, for this reason, in verse 14, he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the church. And then in verse 16 of chapter 3, he says, to be strengthened with power through the inner man. 
And verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And then verse 19, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. It's a prayer to live a spirit-filled life. Why? Well, then now chapter 4. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. That's verse 1. And then verse 24, put on the new self, which is being created in righteousness and holiness and truth. And then he goes into chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, the imitators of God. Walk in love. Verse 7, walk in light. Verse 18 of chapter 5, again, be filled with the Spirit. Well, how does that look? And then he gives us practical application on how a spirit-filled life works within the context of family. And he starts in 522, and this is where Weston took you the past couple of weeks, I hope. And he says, 522, we have instruction on how wives are to be subject to their husbands, and husbands are to love their wives, as 28 says, as their own bodies. But even more importantly, loving our wives as Christ, what? Loves the church. See, this is the key to a fruitful and effective and a God-blessed marriage. Wives submitting to the leadership of the husband. Husband leading as Christ leads his church, as Christ loves his church. This is how a spirit-filled marriage operates. And this morning, then we go into specific instruction on spirit-filled families in terms of children and how children are to operate. And I, I really think that our text this morning is the most important text that we can look at because the family, individual families, is really just a little microcosm of the family of God and God the Father as he looks upon us, Jesus and the church being the bride. So if we're not functioning as Jesus in our homes and as the wife's submission, we don't see the proper relationship between Christ and the church. And that's all chapter 5. That's not my text. But, but it's so critically important. And I think what happens so much in the body of Christ especially is all of us don't mind being held accountable a little bit to some immoral behavior. Man, you lied a little bit. Yeah, okay, I can accept that. Thank you. Right? Or... Man, you got to get off, the, you know, your attitude, your sarcasm. We can be held accountable to those kinds of things. But when it comes to somebody coming to us and holding us accountable for our children's behavior, what happens? Whew. The defenses go up. And don't you talk to me about my kids. When do couples usually need counseling? Married couples, by the time it's already almost over. And there's years of disobedience and dysfunctionality and disobedience to God's word, right? And so we have a super sensitive issue that's so very practically simple. But we don't live in its simplicity. Now it's hard. But we just don't take God at face value. We can take him at face value in a lot of things in our lives. But when it comes to our marriage, we compromise. And when it comes to raising children, we compromise. And so it goes. And I think how our children are raised determines what kind of generation we have in our future, doesn't it? And we're living that right now. So chapter 1 of verse 6 of our text in Ephesians. Children, 
Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know, there's only two commands in the entire Bible that are specific to children. Verse 1, obey your parents. And verse 2, honor your father and mother. Now, there's a lot of commands in the scriptures that deal with children, and, but there's two that are specific that directly attack children. Children, obey your parents. And children, honor your father and mother. See, the only way to get your children to obey you and to honor you is to make certain that your home is a place where Scripture dominates all aspects of life. I don't think we get that. If we're to be the kind of people in the world today who raise children to be submissive to the Word of God, the Word of God has to dominate every area of our lives, in our homes. And that's so very simple to say, and so very, very difficult to put into practice. But that's our standard. In fact, it began way back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, so turn there with me, please. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, God establishes a formula for life in the family, and it began way back with Moses in the Pentateuch. And he says in verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is instruction for the family to be under the control of parents who continually make the scriptures the dominating resource and influence in the home, day after day, moment after moment. See, do you know what actually flows out of a home that is dominated by the word of God? Do do you know when God is taught as the one true God, as this text says, When loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, as the text says, when loving God and teaching God through when we lie down, sit up, and and, and walk about our way, you know what the result of that is? You know what naturally flows, or I should say supernaturally flows out of that? You get children that obey and honor their parents. That's the formula. That's the end result. God's plan hasn't changed. In fact, If anything, the cross ushered in a period of grace and mercy that did not exist before the law. And it's important for children to obey their parents. God established the nation of Israel to be set apart, Exodus 6, 7. He says, then I will take for you my people, I will be your God, and you will know, and everyone else will know, that I am the Lord your God. Exodus 21 and verse 15 says, he who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. And verse 17, along with the Leviticus 20 and 9, says, he who curses his father or mother shall be put to death. Obedience in the Old Testament and honor by children to their parents was mandated for the children of Israel. And, and God determined that it's so critical for the family that the death penalty was the result. That is, that is harsh. I mean, can you imagine that? Spanking 
today is considered as child abuse. I remember when Becky and I were going through our foster licensing way back before we adopted Naomi and we got out of the system, but we ended up going through all the training and got licensed as foster care parents. And I remember sitting and the topic of spanking came up and you couldn't do that as a foster child, number one. Number two, the, the, the consensus was spanking teaches violence. So why do we want to teach violence in our homes? I mean, kill them, Lord? Kill them? Kill an undisciplined, disrespectful child? That's God's standard. That's his holiness. I remember a time when Jared was young, and I, he lied, and I'm sure he covered it up or blamed Joshua for it. And I remember sitting down with him on the bed as we worked through the scriptures, and, and the Spirit of God just gave me Acts, Ananias, and Sapphira. And I went right there. And he was a little boy. And I, and I said, they lied, and God killed him. And he's looking at me. And he just stared, and it was, and I, in my heart I'm going, oh, this is not good. Oh, no, this is good. Oh, this is really bad. And the text says that fear swept over the church. See, when disobedience was the action, the consequence was severe. And fear would sweep over the church. Fear of God needs to sweep over our children. His holy standard needs to be the measuring stick. And consequences need to result. I mean, we live in a culture dominated by a lack of submission, don't we? Submission to authority. Children who don't submit become parents who don't submit. Who become legislators and teachers and you name it, who don't submit to authority. Men, when we don't submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, we can't possibly love our wives as Christ loved the church. Women, when you don't submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you can't possibly be women, wives that submit to the leadership of your husband in the home. And so how do we expect our children to submit to authority in the home and to obey you and honor you when our lives as married couples is not submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Well, how do they do that? Well, first of all, they can't. They can't. Children are not naturally going to obey their parents. So the natural implication, what's implied in this text, is then that they must be taught obedience. They must be taught respect. And what's interesting, and this is a whole other topic in and of itself, probably another sermon, at least a Bible study, is that word children, tatekna in the Greek, literally means offspring. There's not an age requirement or an age standard. So we could debate all we want about age, culpability, and on, that's all human influence into the scriptures. God just says it's your offspring. And so they must be taught. When they're under our care, from the time they begin as little sinners, we need to begin teaching and disciplining. Now children, this is an interesting word, obey. It's a compound word, and it means to hear and under. 
It's hupakuo. It means to hear, and it means to place yourself under. It's literally under hearing. Children are to put themselves under the hearing of their parents' instruction. Children are to act under the one who is speaking. It's, and it comes from the same root word as the word submit. Hupatasso. Why? Well, the text says in verse 1, because it's right. Well, does that mean it's the right thing to do versus the wrong thing to do? No. It literally means, this is what I titled my sermon, it literally means judicial approval. It means approved by God. Right means approved by God. Children, obey your parents because it's God approved. That's it. See, listen, parents, our primary motive of obedience should never ever be for our own convenience. It should never be for our own position. It should never be as a result of our pride. Because our children's obedience is for judicial approval. It's for, and they need to know that. And it became very clear to me years ago when our children were little, as we were parenting, and we had a birthday party, and I'm not sure which son, I think it was, was there, and we invited friends and family over, and, and all these kids were everywhere. And I remember a family that was there that was, ex- that these kids were very, very obedient and respectful and honored their parents. And we would look to them as a standard to say, boy, these kids, they sat in church in a row. They were extremely compliant, kind of a yes sir, no ma'am, kind of a, and we thought, wow. And then they were at our house, and then their parents left. Oh, they're like little demons. I'm not kidding around. I mean, they, they, their parents dropped them off. They were disobedient, uncooperative. They were unkind. They even were fighting over one of my son's new toys that he got for his birthday, and they broke it. And you would tell them to do something, they'd say no and run off. Like, who are these kids? You see, I learned early on that there's a massive disconnect between obedience for dad's approval and obedience for God's approval. And that parents are just the agent that fulfills God's message and ministry through the parents, or through the kids. So that the kids see that you as mom and dad are just the advocate on behalf of God, raising them as God wants them to be raised, not as how we do because it's, it, it makes us look good, or it's for our own convenience, or it's for our own pride. See, this is so significant. This is where we miss it. Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. It's the heart that we must be most concerned about in terms of our parenting. We can modify behavior. We can modify behavior all day long for rule-breaking, but if we don't shepherd the hearts of our children, There's a major disconnect between them, their creator, and their savior because it just becomes a set of standards and rules. And they will rebel because it's from their heart. It's the the disobedience is just an outward manifestation of what's in the heart. If we don't address the heart, we lose it. 
You see, the command for children to, to obey doesn't just stop at obedience. Look at verse 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Honor. To assign value. Preciousness. Children must be taught to place a high value and a preciousness on you as parents. Paul writes it's the first commandment with a promise. Now, if you're confused about that, so was I <laughs> for a moment. Until we look up in Exodus 20, we read the Ten Commandments, right? It's not the first commandment that's listed. It's actually the fifth commandment to honor your parents. But what it is, the first four commandments have to do with our relationship to God. The next six have to do with our relationship with one another. Study them. It's beautiful. But the first one of those in relation to one another, it comes with a specified promise. And that promise is that their life will be prolonged. And so Paul echoes that here in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6. I mean, chapter 6, verse 3, he says, Honor your father and mother so that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. There's an obvious correlation between a child's obedience and the right attitude in that obedience. And their life will be macrochronios. It'll be long in duration. And I think that's just obvious. There's practical realism in that statement, isn't there? Disobedience and disrespect on a child's part, their life is either going to be cut short because of direct chastening from God or just the practical outpouring of bad decisions can cut their life short because they live a life of rebellion. Disobedience and dishonor shortens the life the quality of life and the quantity of life of young people. That's what the scripture says. Obey and honor so it'll be well with you that your life may be prolonged. I did some research. Life gets cut short. You know that suicide is the second leading cause of death for young people aged 15 to 24. USA Today reported that suicide rates among children and teens ages 10 10 to 17 was up 70% between 2006 and 2016. Homicide is the third leading cause of death for teens. Drugs and alcohol is fourth on the top leading causes of death for young people. And then when you read the rest of the, the six on the list of top ten, Cancer, heart, respiratory disease, stroke, and the flu. Isn't it interesting that the top 10 leading causes of death in young people ages 15 to 24 in the United States today is how they view themselves, suicide, drugs, alcohol, and how they view others, homicide. And these are directly related, and it all starts with rebellion and disrespect with their parents in the home. Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is what? More deceitful than all else, and it is desperately sick. Who can understand? Psalm 51.5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Proverbs 6.18, a heart that divides wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil. And Matthew 15, but the things that proceed... Out of our mouth come from the heart. 
For out of the heart come murderers and adulterers and fornicators and thieves and false witness and slander. And the list goes on. A Barna Research Group polled parents and this is a very interesting and very shocking but very real statistic. And it says that 90% of parents believe it's their responsibility to teach God in the home. That's good. However, related research reveals that a majority of parents don't spend any time discussing God in the home. And two-thirds of them attend church at least once a month. There's a disconnect. They believe what God's word says. But they don't trust and obey what God's word says. And so we're now living with a generation or two who've been raised with the belief that spanking is a form of child abuse. That the lack of self-control is now a disorder or a disease. That submission suppresses individuality. And the only way to correct bad behavior is to train a child is to help them esteem themselves more highly, to build them up, to make sure their fragile psyche is not hurt. As an eighth grade teacher, I went, I take my eighth graders every now and again to Shasta College career days to get them kind of focused on some ideas about careers while they're in eighth grade so that when they enter high school, they have a little idea of maybe something that challenges them or encourages them to take a particular walk or a direction. So we go from booth to booth of a lot of the um, different types of vocational education opportunities out there. The first station we went to was the early childhood station. And the, the woman who was the director literally said, we in our early childhood education center are child-centered. We don't tell children no. We redirect their unwanted behavior to be more positive in direction. I almost vomited. And I looked at my kids, and they're just listening. My wife, working at school this past fall, told me that the school counselor told the staff flat out, discipline doesn't work. That we just, there are ways to get children to obey and cooperate. I think Legos was a key. I think that's in chapter 5, verse 1. I want us to realize something significant this morning, that we're in dire times. And you know that, and we know that. Intellectually, but how do we fix it? What's the answer? If you turn with me to 2 Timothy in chapter 3, I want you to look at something this morning. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, About difficult times, verse 1, but realize this, understand this, that in the last days, and again, this is a sermon in and of itself, but it's so significant to our context. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty, verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, 
ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, and on and on. In verse 3, the word unloving in the Greek, fascinating term, astorgas. It means without natural family love. It doesn't just mean that they're not lovers of people. It means that they have experienced in their life an unnatural family love. It's familial love. In other words, without a father and a mother in their proper roles in the family dynamic. I read a statistic in 1960 that 1% of children under 18 experienced divorce in their family, 1%. 30 years later, 1990, 50% of children under 18 experienced divorce in their family. Good Housekeeping issued an article in February of this year and stated that the divorce rate has decreased by 18%. And the article says, and we have millennials to thank for that. However, Pew Research Center reports that the number of cohabiting parents has increased by 29%. In other words, more people are living together outside of marriage, and they're still having children. And this has devastating effects on the family and on society. God's design for family is under attack in greater ways than ever before. We see it in abortion as an attack on the family unit. A woman's right to choose my body, my choice. Not mutual submission, not obedience to the lordship of Christ, but my body, my choice. Legalization of homosexual marriage is a direct assault on the family. Raising children in gender neutrality Direct assault on the family. Cohabitation. Direct assault on the family. God's design has, is very, very simple. Husband, love your wife. Wives, submit to your husband. And children, obey your parents. That's it. That's all the time he spends on the family. Now, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way they should go. When they are old, they will not depart from it. How do we train our children to obey and honor us? Well, it's difficult. And one commentator says this. They are cursed when they arrive, and nobody has to tell them to disobey. They are utterly selfish and have no regard for anyone. And he says, we don't, you know, we don't, yell at our, we don't tell our kids when they're little, yes, yes. Yes, yes, sir. yes, of course, yes. No, we always say no, no, no. And I love that. Because it's a, why? Because they're cursed little reprobates when they're born. That's why. And unless we train them up in the, in the Lord, they're going to continue to feed that. And we'll explore that here in a little bit as we look at um, verse 4. So I'm going to skip to verse 4 in chapter 6, and then we're going to come back to verse 3. Okay. So you see, our task as parents, verse 4, chapter 6, 
is to bring them up, it says, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. It's one phrase in the Greek. It's to nourish to maturity. It means to raise them out of a low position to bring them to maturity. Well, how do we do that? We do that in two ways, by discipline and by instruction. And discipline is the act of correction. It's the act of chastisement. And yes, it's the act of using the rod. Let's close in, all right? And instruction, though, means to set the mind properly. First thing I thought it was Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Training involves the tandem act of the rod of physical punishment on the backside and the mind renewal. It has both components. Parents, our kids need to know they're breaking God's laws, not ours. And we are God's agent to provide that discipline and to provide that instruction. And I want to encourage you, if your grandparents and your kids aren't doing it, lovingly instruct them because their life is going to be filled with pain and brokenness if they're not living in obedience. You're not off the hook, grandparents. You've got to lovingly and continue to instruct your children in the ways of the Lord. You're not responsible for their obedience, but you can't just let it slide. For some reason, we get way too relaxed or way too standoffish. Oh, we just got to let them do their thing. No. We can't just let anybody do their thing. Not if it's in violation of God's word. And you know that the blessing that comes out of that is infinitely better than letting them do their own thing. Parents, we got a, we got a, we got a, a tough call. We got a standard, and I'm telling you, I'm not saying here because we got two boys that are about to turn 22 and 20 that we're done because we adopted a little one. We're doing it all over again, and she's a girl. I thought it was a pretty good parent raising two boys until I had a girl. Holy mackerel! What's God's word say? Even a girl. See, we've got to address the heart. Proverbs 27, 19, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. See, if we only address the acts, we miss the heart. That's just called behavior modification. We can even train animals to write the, write the behavior. That's simple. So Proverbs have tremendous wisdom for the parents. Tremendous wisdom. And this is what, this is what our Israel parents used. There's the wisdom of Solomon. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son while there is still hope and do not desire his death. In other words, if you don't discipline your child, what are you doing? You're an active agent in desiring the death of that young person. That's serious. Proverbs 6, 20 through 23, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually around your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs for discipline are a way of life. Discipline is not a way. The text says discipline is the way of life. Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen: foolishness is bound up where? Oh, right in the heart of that child. And the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. 
Proverbs 13, 24, spare the rod and spoil the child. Proverbs 23, 13, do not hold back discipline from a child. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from hell. Wow. This is a serious call for parents. You see, it's got to be in tandem. When a children's mouth is foul, we spank. And then we instruct with Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. When our children are unkind, we spank and we instruct with Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. When children complain and argue, we spank and instruct, Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing. When children lie, we spank and we instruct with do not lie to one another. When children are unforgiving, we spank and instruct with Colossians 3.13, bear with one another and forgive each other as God and Jesus forgives us. It's a repetition of the rod and instruction. It's so important. Over the years, I've taught Sunday school classes that in, about biblical parenting, and every time the class starts, it usually starts large, and then it dwindles. And for those that stay, it's really the similar argument all the time. Either, well, we tried everything from spanking to timeouts, Nothing seemed to work for my little so-and-so. They're just so strong-willed. Or we did all that, and they still turned out as rebellious children. But you know what the answer is? Besides living obediently to what God actually commands of us in this text by raising children, I've come to realize it's not just the simple, straightforward command here. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The next parenting class I want to teach, you know what I want to teach on? What a spirit-filled life looks like in the husband and the wife. Because it doesn't matter how much you discipline and instruct your children. If Husbands, if you're not loving your wife unconditionally and faithfully and sacrificially as Jesus commands, then you are living in disobedience and dishonoring God's word and your parents, your kids will see it. And if wives, if you're living your independent, strong-willed, domineering lives, you are living in direct disobedience and defiling the very word of God because you are not lovingly submitting to the lordship of your husband. And Lord is the little L. It means the ruler in the home. We have a hard time with this, especially as our generations move along because we are independent and strong and capable. Well, God actually has something to say about that. So I think that I want to I teach my next parenting class on Ephesians 5.1 and start there. Imitate God, walk in love. Any questions? Yeah, seriously. Because it doesn't matter. If you're not doing that, then your children are doomed. And I'm telling you, and I always used to question this in my own classes. When I would teach, I would go, what? Okay, how do you combat parents that say, oh, I did that, I tried that, I tried that, oh, I did that, oh, I did that, and one kid turned out and one kid didn't? Because it's connected directly to mom and dad, if there is mom and dad, and it's connected directly to whether they're living in submission, mutual submission to one another and to the Lord. 
Being filled with the Spirit means be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. It's mutual submissions. Husbands fail to submit to love their wives unconditionally as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives fail to submit to the husband's lordship and sin nature twists and manipulates and causes us to redefine the roles as husband and wife and as a result, well, half of Christian marriages end in divorce and children are left to be raised by Satan's spiritual forces of darkness. See, God calls parents to raise them in the light of truth. See? I mean, there's some very practical ways parents don't teach their kids to obey and honor. Now we go to verse 4, and God gives one of those. Verse 4, look at it in chapter 6 of Ephesians. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. The word father Pater, it is here used in the masculine, and it refers to father, but the term also can be used of either gender. The term actually means originator, mother or father. And in Hebrews 11.23, it speaks of Moses' parents. Same word, pater, but it's used interchangeably, by mom and dad. Okay? So we're literally talking about parents here, although fathers do not provoke your children to anger. I believe that even though it applies to both, fathers have a, a little bit more of a propensity to snap. Now, I don't, and Becky will attest to that because I'm very patient and kind and all the time. I mean, come on, fathers. Man, get out of my face. Go to your room. You're being inconvenient to me. Oh, see? The parallel passage in Colossians 3.20 says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children so that it will not lose heart. Don't provoke them to anger. Same word, this idea of provoking, but it's, the result is they lose heart. We're supposed to train their hearts, and they lose heart. They become disheartened. So there's an interesting study done at Harvard some time ago that the study discovered critical factors in predicting delinquency in children. They observed five and six-year-olds in the home for a time, and then they left and came back four years later. And they discovered that 90% of these families had delinquent, disobedient children. 90% of these families. Well, the 10% well-adjusted, remember Harvard study, had these four similar characteristics in their homes. Number one, a father's discipline. Number two, a mother's supervision. The mom was home. The mom was taking care of the home. Number three, dad and mom's affection for each other was demonstrated. And number four, there was family cohesiveness. They ate together. They did homework together. They played together. I mean, that's a scientific study. And, and, and shocking that biblical guidelines actually mirror reality. Right? Right? I think God actually had it all figured out when he gave us these principles a long time ago. Love, discipline, mom and dad loving each other. In 1977, just because it's fun to go back in time, there's a book written by Dr. Paul Meyer called Christian Child Rearing and Personality Development. And again, they discovered five things in the parent-child relationship. Love, love in a home, discipline, firm, consistent. You know, there's not inconsistencies. One time you get punished for one thing, and then they get, get away with it four times later. There's no inconsistencies. There's a good example. 
parents are living by example. And then fifth is the most revealing because there's a quote. It says, man is the head of the household. In 1977, a quote, the vast majority of neurotics, both children and adults, grew up in homes where the father was absent or the father was weak or the mother was domineering. Why do we want to do things our way? Why do we live a cursed life? Why do we live under the, the curse? Why do we justify our actions against the word of God? Why do we question God's design for the family? When it's so clearly spelled out for us to do it his way, well, it's simple. And I just alluded to it because my mind's racing too fast. And that is that sin entered the world and we've been cursed because of it. Satan tempted Eve and said, did God really say that? And we questioned God's word far too often. And brothers and sisters, parenting is a battlefield. And it's an all-out war for a kingdom. And our children are born into the kingdom of darkness. And it's our primary job as a parent to evangelize children so that they learn they're sinners in need of a savior. It's kind of fascinating that Barna Research Group, they research parents' approach they realize that research shows that parenting approach determines whether children become devoted Christians. It was a multi-year study, okay? And it concluded that among young adults, similar characteristics were found in their childhood. Those that became born-again, thriving Christian young people. This research stated that, number one, knowing and loving and serving God was identified as a top priority in their home. They described, number two, that their faith in God as being the highest importance. Number three, children return a, were taught a biblical worldview. Number four, they believed that their main purpose in life was to love God with all their heart, mind, and strength. And number five, they are currently active in a vibrant community of faith. But one of the most sobering outcomes of the research was that less than one out of every 10 young adults in the U.S. meets those criteria. Children are being raised in homes where 90% say they believe in biblical child rearing, but only 10%. Research has proven that they're not growing up in that environment. I mean, instruction isn't always with discipline. Don't get me wrong. We don't spank our kids all the time. Sometimes we spank them just because we know they're going to say, no, here's a few just because we know the day is going to go by. Of course not. But spanking's not always with instruction. Instruction, we instruct, we instruct about God all the time. We lie down, we wake up, we rise, we go. We talk about, we speak of God's creation. We speak of rainbows. We speak of speak of sunsets, we speak of the solar system, we speak about our human body, we speak about uh, sin in our own lives and in the lives of others, and we say that dishonors God, and, and we need correction, and, and we honor God in our marriage, we honor God in our work, we'll look at that next week, we honor God in the way we play, we model the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we're constantly teaching and instructing our children, we seek forgiveness when we need it, and we go on and on, and so it goes, and there's so much more that can be said, and I fear that uh, there's too much in one short time. But if I can leave you with just a couple of practical, practical books. 
that I know that were so influential to us. Some of you may know, but one of them, if you want to write it down, is called Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's by Ted Tripp. Shepherding a Child's Heart is a fantastic little paperback that will get you to rethink your job as a parent in terms of shepherding the heart of the child, not just dealing with the behavior. And then the other book is Lou Priolo's book, P-R-I-O-L-O-S, Lou Priolo, oh, Lou Priolo. And it's called Teach Them Diligently. And it's a great, it's another great supplemental text to look, Lou Priolo, Teach Them Diligently. And uh, it's a great text written years and years ago. These are tremendous works that will help take biblical principles and practically apply them in our lives. We live in extremely challenging days. Even in my own household, starting over as an almost 50-year-old with a little child in my home is so much different what she is exposed to and what her friend groups are like. We just struggle with even having her go on play dates and go to class because her friends in our church are so disrespectful and so disobedient and so wild and crazy. And that our little Naomi, we're trying to raise her and train her, but it's just her peer group. And then you have the iPads and the i, I everything. And the tablets and media and, and all that world just coming at them. And it is said that our grandparents in a lifetime didn't see as much sin as a child today in one day will see. And I believe that that's the truth. So our task is so challenging, but the standard hasn't changed. Now what iota transcends time challenging days, but we certainly have the wisdom and the discretion, but cannot compromise on God's design for the family, and it is this. In Ephesians 5 and 6, walk in love. Walk in light and be filled with the Spirit and mutually submit to one another in the fear of Christ and raise your kids in the nurture and admonition and the training and instruction of the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we try our darndest, and we do better and better all the time through mutual submission and through accountability, and it's so important. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the truth of your word. It, har- it hurts. It's hard. It hurts us. It's hard to do. Help us to be people that live uncompromisingly. We cannot twist or manipulate or sort through what we like about your truth and what we don't like about our truth, because the reality is, I think every one of our parents, every one of our children today would be dead if we lived in ancient Israel. Because parenting takes a back seat to our own pride, our own selfishness. Help us to be parents who train and instruct in the discipline and instruction of the Creator of man. So, We look forward to being challenged in your word and how we're going to implement and how we're going to make changes this afternoon within the scope and the boundary of your truth.
May we trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. Amen.